Hello, film lovers. We are back. Sit down, relax, pop in your headphones, and whap out your cinematic snacks. It's 2020, and it's time for another episode of the Films I Love Most podcast. podcast. film lovers and welcome to episode 17 of the films i love most podcast you are more than welcome thank you very much we have a packed show here on the films i love most podcast today very shortly we'll be talking about the baftas and then of course the oscars now we recorded an oscars special very very recently go back and listen to that because it's really good because i try and choose out of the nominations who I think is going to win so I want you to play along we also have a competition going on with the nomination game so (laughs) get along listen to the nomination special and join in because it's a lot a lot of fun yes so we'll be talking about this week's film releases and of course what's going on on the small screen What film do you love most this week? Well, you'll find out very shortly in probably our shortest ever film I love most segment. But bless her, you'll find out why. I'm sitting here with a huge cup of tea, no Bourbons. I've got no Rivita, nothing. I thought I'd just try and, you know, go on a fasting diet, maybe. (laughs) Maybe that will help. But um, yeah, so if I sort of, you know, if you hear me sound a little bit ugh, by the end you'll notice because i'm starving hungry but yeah welcome to episode 17 of the films i love most podcast sit back and enjoy i'm just gonna say i think i prefer the um baftas this year to the oscars because there are some really interesting films that have been nominated for the BAFTAs that have not even been looked at by the Oscars have been nominated for nothing, which I think is an absolute shame because there are some absolute crackers in here. For example, The Farewell is um, in the film not in the English language category and also A Portrait of a Lady on Fire is also in the film not in the English language category for the BAFTAs, but nowhere to be seen in the Oscars. Very, very disappointed there. Also... Um, outstanding debut for a British writer. There's one film that I'm really surprised has had no Oscar nods, and that is Bait, which um, is an incredible film, filmed in a very unique way. I don't think I've seen a film like that ever, and it's just been completely overlooked. Um, And then you have things like The Joker, which are just sort of getting nominated for everything, and you know rightly so it's popular entertainment people like it it's got an amazing central performance although i have issues with that if you're a long-term listener of the podcast you'll know that my 
views on Joker are controversial. But there's just some choices that the BAFTAs have made that I think that the Oscars would have, you know, looked at and gone, maybe that is a worthy nomination. Um, Cinematography, I think, has everything right in the BAFTA nomination. So it's got Lighthouse, it's got The Irishman, it's got 1917... um, Le Mans. Oh my goodness, I haven't spoken about this yet. Le Mans 66. I had um someone who listened, who's an avid listener of the podcast, you know who you are, say that I was pronouncing it Le Mans 66, but actually it's Le Mans 66. To which I pointed out, I'm a guy from Essex, okay? I'm not going to be going Le Mans. Who do you think I am? Who do you guys going to think I am if I go around speaking like Le Mans 66? It might be the correct pronunciation, but I'm going with Le Mans 66, all right? Downtown Colchester, Le Mans 66, that's how we talk. But um, no, I completely understand. Le Mans 66, or I'm just going to call it Ford versus Ferrari from now on. But um, yes, so there's a lot of things that I agree fully with. There's a couple of lead actor nomination um, in the BAFTAs that I think are apt, but they're not in the in the uh, BAFTAs. I also think it's an absolute crime that William Defoe has not been nominated for lead actor or even supporting actor in The Lighthouse because his performance in that film is mind-blowing. It's incredible, and I just cannot believe that he's been overlooked. That is criminal. Although he was nominated last year for playing Vincent Van Gogh, but this year he should have been nominated for playing Crazy Lighthouse Keeper. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty it. My pretty much it. I think there's quite a few things, obviously, that are the same, like for Sammer being nominated for um, Outstanding Debut, which is completely apt also i think it's in the documentary section which is also it should be because it's incredible so yeah there's a couple of differences between the baths and the oscars nothing major but just a few little nags that i have that i just think oh well that's just completely overlooked most of it is probably to do with bait and the lighthouse but get over and listen to our oscars special because i want you to all play along and try and guess who's going to win this year. And remember, there is a prize for those who guess the most right. But you have to email them to me at filmilovemostpodcast at yahoo.com or contact me on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. So first up, we're going to be reviewing the beautiful little ditty that is A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood starring Tom Hanks as Fred Rogers. Now, it's based on a true story... Um, the real life friendship between Fred Rogers and journalist um, Lloyd Vogel. And the story is basically that Fred Rogers, played by Tom Hanks, is a TV presenter for kids and he's lovely and he's welcoming and he has a heart of gold. And then Lloyd Vogel comes in to do a piece on him for a magazine and because he hasn't had much sort of love in his life, he is a bit suspicious, I think, of Fred Rogers' character. And, you know, no one can be that nice and no one can be that empathetic. But as he learns, as the film progresses, 
Fred Rogers is a beautiful human being and cares about humanity and cares for children. And I think that that part of the film shines like a light, especially, especially, I suppose, this is a very difficult argument because I suppose over the years, so many of our, you know, celebrities and especially celebrities that might have had dealings with children in the past have been revealed to be not very savoury characters or, you know, people that preyed upon, you know, vulnerable people. And going into A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood, I think that there was a little bit of unease because I didn't know anything about the story. So I thought, hang on a minute, please don't let this be a story about this wonderful human being. And then this journalist digs into his background and it turns out that he's like a murderer or something or does not have a very savoury past. I was just dreading that happening because I really loved Tom Hanks's character that he'd created and playing this sort of real-life TV personality. Luckily, that's not where the story went and that's not what the story is about. The story is about having someone in your life who understands you and is there for you and we all need that and everybody should have one of those And in this film, it's Fred Rogers. And Tom Hanks plays the character absolutely beautifully. Although I was a little bit frustrated at the beginning by his performance. But then I realised, but that's the character. But for some reason, there was something quite restrained about him. And I felt like I wasn't getting the full personality. But as the film progresses, you realise that they've done that on purpose. And... um, Marielle Heller, who directed the film, has obviously sort of played with that at the beginning to make you actually feel a bit suspicious towards Fred Rogers. Like, no one can be this nice, especially in the time period that we live in today. Performances, great. Chris Cooper, who I've always been a fan of since um, I watched him in American Beauty. American Beauty is one of my all-time favourite films. Just a, a shame You know, we're talking about celebrities who have gone on to have unsavoury reputations. Unfortunately, American Beauty is slightly tainted for me now due to it starring the person who I shall not name, who does not deserve to be mentioned. But um, performance by Chris Cooper is incredible. I've loved him for a very long time. Um, Matthew Reese, who plays Lloyd Vogel, very competent. Not necessarily the most interesting character in the film, but there to play sort of a role in the exploration of Fred Rogers's character. I really enjoyed it, but at the end of the day, it just wasn't, it wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be. I mean, the thing that makes it is Tom Hanks's performance, but I wouldn't say that it's probably the the best thing that he's done recently. Um, I don't think it's even close, but it is a really nice film. It's a Sunday afternoon You know, with your Sunday roast on your lap, watching it with your mum or your nan. That's the sort of feel that I got from the film. It's nothing momentous, but it's just a really gorgeous, beautiful character study. And yeah, A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood. It's out now, or it will be out on the 31st of January. And you can go and see it at any large cinema. And I give A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood 7 out of 10. Hey, I'm looking for Fred Rogers. In here. 
It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Please, won't you be my neighbor? Hello, neighbor. Mr. Rogers, I'm here to interview you. It is so nice to meet you. You okay? Profiling Mr. Rogers. Lloyd, please don't ruin my childhood. This piece will be for an issue about heroes. Do you consider yourself a hero? We are trying to give the world positive ways of dealing with their feelings. Yeah, like what? There are many things you can do. You can play all the lowest keys on a piano at the same time. You love broken people like me. Sometimes we have to ask for help. And that's okay. I think the best thing we can do is to let people know boom, that each one of them is precious. Queen and Slim is our next up. And you'll have to excuse me because I did see this quite a long time ago. I went to a special screening for it in uh, Leicester Square. And I have to say, this film is made up of so many different parts that it's actually quite difficult to nail down the sort of theme and the atmosphere that the director was trying to portray. It's like a sort of anthology story of two people that go on the run. They end up having to deal with various different obstacles and dangers along the way. And so basically what happens is it's the couple's first date and it takes an unexpected turn when a police officer pulls them over. There's an altercation and the police officer is very brutal with the lead character, Slim, played by um, Daniel Kaluga. And um, yeah, I, I just don't want to give a spoiler away. Anyway, something happens and Slim and Queen, played by Jodie Turner-Smith, have to go on the run. The first part of the film I found interesting, if not going over familiar ground, dealing with um, sort of police brutality, um, sort of, you know, the black people struggle against the police. I thought that was a very similar message to quite a few films that have been released recently. Very important message, don't get me wrong, and it should be, you know, made hundreds of films about it but I just felt like it was a very familiar feel for the film to start with and then it started to go 
in very unexpected directions, which I'm not going to lie to you. A couple of the directions it went in, I didn't feel very engaged in. But it does get itself back on the tracks by the sort of last 45 minutes, which is lucky because at one point I did think, oh, no, this is not really what I want to happen or expected to happen in this film. And I thought at one point that people were going to walk out because it did seem that the audience watching it were not sort of fully understanding what was trying to be told by this story. And at the end of the day, all you need to really go into this film with is it's about the relationship between Queen and Slim. And it's a beautiful relationship. It starts off as two people just wanting company and to get and to talk and to express their feelings to somebody else, to a dependency, which becomes a relationship which blooms into love. And it's a beautiful thing to watch. There's some great, great um, characters in this film. I really did enjoy Queen and Slim's um, interactions, especially within the first sort of half of the film, because, you know, they're in a very dangerous situation and people under pressure react in different ways. And it was nice to see how these two characters interacted. The performances are great. They are brilliant. Queen and Slim has been massively overlooked for the Oscars. It came out in the States uh, at Thanksgiving. So it was under the umbrella to be nominated for the Oscars. But unfortunately, not any nominations, I don't think at all, which is very disappointing. And, you know, just what you'd expect from an Oscar sort of panel. You know, this film is pretty much an all black cast, which is, you know, a joy to watch. And the Oscars have completely ignored that. But I really hope that a lot of people will go and see this film when it's released on the 31st of January and go and enjoy it. It is a great film. There are some, you know, narrative decisions that are made in the film that didn't really ring true with me. But at the end of the day, it all boils down to a relationship and it's beautiful. And I'm going to give Queen and Slim 8 out of 10. Can I ask you something? What took you so long to respond to me? I didn't feel like being alone. Not tonight. So you turned to Tinder. What made you pick me? I liked your picture. You had this sad look on your face. I felt sorry for you. Damn. You made a playlist? That's cute. Don't go through my phone. <laughs> so what happens tonight? You're gonna drop me off and then you'll go home, I guess. Oh. Did you think we were gonna have sex? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> no. You failed to execute a turn signal back there. Oh, my bad. Step out of the vehicle. Can I ask why, officer? No, you may not. Put your hands on the head and get on the ground now. Are you serious? Get on the ground! Why is he under arrest? He's back in the car! I am an attorney! Jail, I'm reaching for my cell phone! guy wanted me to die and I messed up his plan. I don't think that's what he wanted. Hey, is this y'all? We have to go, now. It's all over the news. I support what y'all doing. It was self-defense. Power to the people. One eight seven, two young suspects. Yeah, we didn't black money and Clyde. 
you gonna have on the police? We hide in plain sight. You may be. I don't know yet. Don't worry, you're safe here. It's an honor to meet y'all. Y'all really gave us something to believe in. I'm tired of playing the safe. I want to ride or die. As long as my lady remembers me fondly, it's all I need. Thank you for this journey, no matter how it ends. So the next film we'll be looking at is another true story, and it's all based around an American security guard called Richard Jewell, who saves thousands of lives from an exploding bomb at the 1996 Olympics, but then is then is vilified by journalists and the press who falsely reported that he was the terrorist who planted the bomb. Now, I didn't know anything about this film, about the story, about anything. And when I was watching it, I just couldn't believe that this was happening to this poor guy. Paul Walter Holster, who plays... Richard Jewell does a really good job of getting the naivety, getting the innocence of the character who has one goal in life to become a police officer. And even though he hasn't sort of reached his goal yet, he's doing jobs like security and, you know, he's like the security guard at a college at the beginning of the movie. And he wants to work his way up. And during the events that happen, he finds the suspicious package has to convince the police officers that it's suspicious because they all thought that it's just a bag on the floor. And then obviously he followed protocol, Richard Jewell's character, and um, saved hundreds of lives because it sparked an evacuation and then a bomb went off. So it's a really interesting story. And then to have the press and... You know, everyone just turned against him because they thought that he had planted the bomb so that he could become a hero and therefore maybe reach his goal of becoming a police officer. So there's a lot going on in this film. It does split between sort of Richard Jewell and his family with his mum, who's played by Kathy Bates, who's incredible. She's been nominated for an Oscar for this role. And then it goes to like the FBI agents. John Hamm plays the lead... Um, FBI agent who's trying to investigate Richard Jewell and then you see how the press are dealing with the story and handling it which obviously was done in completely the wrong way and should be like it's just disgusting how they handled the story really Sam Rockwell plays Richard Jewell's lawyer he's an absolute joy to watch but then he's a joy to watch in anything he's absolutely incredible I'm surprised that he hasn't got a nomination for something for this role because he's just such a naturalistic clever actor and he embodies this role fully and the empathy of the character just seeps through and I love it especially in the scene when Kathy Bates's character has to go up and give a press conference about how her son is innocent and then the tenderness between her and Sam Rockwell's uh, Watson Bryan is just really nice to watch and really subtle and clever. Um, directed by Clint Eastwood. And now, I didn't know this until the very end of the film when the credits rolled. Now, Clint Eastwood, you know, he's getting on a little bit. But the film is done in such a unique fashion. 
It's not done like a documentary, which is really good. I don't really like sort of true life stories that are filmed like that there's a film crew there filming what's going on. I like the fact that I didn't know what was coming next because it was filmed in such a way that it was almost like a bit, just like a personal sort of drama. And I liked that a lot, the way that it was, the story was told. Um, I don't really have any negative to say. It, it, I mean, it's not everybody's cup of tea. It's funny. It's funnier than I thought it was going to be. As soon as I learned about what the subject matter was, I was quite surprised that it passed the laugh test. But just all because of Richard Jewell's personality and character. The fact that he was just so naive and he wanted to be a police officer. So therefore, when the police were investigating him, he was almost investigating himself as well to, to try and impress them. And it was it led to some very interesting comic moments. But Richard Jewell is a really interesting story, really well done. And um, I think that it's a good slice of history that not a lot of people know about, especially here in the UK. So I am going to give Richard Jewell 8 out of 10. Let's get a new tape going. All right, Richard, here's what we're going to do. We need a voice exemplar. I want you to say into this phone, there's a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. Richard, you're a national hero now. Thank you, sir. But I was just doing my job. You always look at the guy who found the bomb just like you always look at the guy who found the body. Jewel fits the profile of the lone bomber. A frustrated white man who is a police wannabe who seeks to become a hero. We're running it. You're a suspect. You don't talk. I talk. Say it. I don't talk. This might be the only way to clear your name. I want you to say there's a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. Stop trying to be their best friend. I was raised to respect authority. Authorities are looking to eat you alive. There's a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. I'm sorry, what? His accusers are two of the most powerful forces in the world. The United States government and the media. I do want to help y'all on law enforcement, too. There is a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. Did he do it? Richard Jewell is an innocent man. He's a hero. There is a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. One more time, just a little louder. I report the facts. You've ruined this man's life. There is a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. Do a couple in a row. My son saved people's lives. There is a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. You set that bomb. There is a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. I don't know how to protect you. Like your client is guilty as hell. They want to fry you. You're gonna start fighting back. So here comes the big one. Saw it very recently at the IMAX. Absolutely loved it. 
here is my review of 1917, directed by Sam Mendes. It's a story of two young British soldiers during the First World War who are given the impossible mission to deliver a message deep in enemy territory that will stop 1,600 men and one of the soldier's brothers from walking straight into a deadly trap. Now, this is a true story um, about the Germans in the trenches falling back and building up their armaments back within no man's land so that the English would come over the top, think that they'd abandoned the trenches, carry on forward and then be hit with a lot of artillery. And the two soldiers have to take a message to the commanding officer to say, this is what happened. Don't send your men over the top. They will be obliterated. And this I mean, I could talk about this film all day, but I don't have much time on the podcast to talk about it. But I'm just going to go through it point by point. The cast is phenomenal. I think the way that the very opening shot is performed is like I've never seen anything like it. It's pure cinematography right there. You have a tracking shot following these boys right from a field where they get their orders right up to the point where they go into no man's land, which looks like a single shot. And it's done with absolute precision. I can imagine that it was a nightmare to film and get right. But then again, you have to remember that Sam Mendes has a lot of experience working in theatre. So if you think about it, it's no different than sort of staging a large theatre piece having this sort of large tracking shot at the beginning. Um, a lot of famous actors pop up from nowhere with very small speaking roles. Um, I would say that actually this was the thing that put me off a little bit in the film, was that whenever they mentioned a corporal or a sergeant or a general, in my mind I was thinking, oh, I wonder who's going to be playing that part. I wonder what big like Hollywood or British star is going to be playing that. And um, to be fair, you've got like Daniel Mays, Colin Firth, Benedict Cumberbatch, Andrew Scott, you know, all of these characters, sort of just Mark Strong, all of these play playing sort of very small, tiny speaking roles in the film. I think that's my only negative about this film is that it's casting. It was a little bit off-putting after a while. But at the same time, it's an absolute masterpiece. It really, really is. There are some scenes in it, especially there's a scene when um, Lance Corporal Schofield emerges during the attack on a French city at night and the colours of the sort of navy blue sky and the burning fires together. It looks epic, incredible. It looks like a piece of art and it really really impressed me the way that this film looks and feels and the performances I think it's probably Mendes's best film to date and I'm a huge fan of I mentioned earlier about American Beauty Sam Mendes is probably I think it's his debut actually um I love that film my, one of my sort of coming of age movies for me and just to see how technically he has progressed, then um, I just think, you know, what an incredible feat that he has performed here with 1917. What I would say is 
be emotionally prepared for this film. I did have a friend who had to go into the restroom of the cinema and cry for, for like 10 minutes after because it was a very emotional experience. It's It's just a reflection on what could have happened, what these men were going through, the conditions that they had to live in, the fact that now we look at all the equipment, the technology that we have, and they had none of that. And just the humanity of these two boys that want to go and save the lives of these men by putting their own lives at risk. And it's incredible and it's beautiful. And I would say definitely a contender probably for best film of the year already in January. So, yeah, um, if you can see it, go and see it. I would say go and see it on the biggest screen you possibly can. You'll get more of it out of it that way. And I give 1917 9 out of 10. I hoped today might be a good day. Hope is a dangerous thing. You have a brother in the 2nd Battalion. Yes, sir. They're walking into a trap. Your orders are to deliver a message calling off tomorrow morning's attack. If you fail, it will be a massacre. Let's talk about this for a minute. Why? We've got orders to cross here. That is the German front line. If we're not clever about this, no one will get to your brother. I will. Now it's time for the small screen. Welcome. Let's shrink that screen. Here we are at the small screen. And today we're going to be talking about a new show that has just been released in America and will be coming to the UK very shortly called The Outsider. Now, it's um, a drama about investigators who are confounded 
over an unspeakable crime that has been committed. Now, I have to tell you now that I have read the book because it is by one of my favourite authors, Stephen King. And I'm very excited for the series. I haven't actually watched the episodes yet because the first two episodes have been released already. Because um, I want to wait for the whole series to come out before I watch it. Because I know from reading the book how frustrating the story is if you if you're going to read watch it or you know read a chapter then not read another chapter i read the whole book in probably about three days but i can imagine that the tv show is going to end on some massive cliffhangers and even though i know the story i'm very excited to see what they do with it uh jason bateman plays uh terry maitland who is the lead investigator and um yeah i'm really really excited to see how this tv show pans out and what people think of it especially the story because it's a really really good story probably one of the best stephen king novels of the last sort of 10 years i'd say really really interesting so that is the outsider it has been released in america already and should be coming to the uk very shortly so i would definitely check that out and also my favourite playing on Sundays on BBC One at roughly between seven and eight o'clock is Doctor Who. It's back with Jodie Whittaker. The first three episodes have already aired. The first two-parter, Spyfall, was full of revelations and twists and turns. If you haven't seen it, turn off now. The Master is back. And also the destruction and the absolute devastation that has been brought about by the by the master completely destroying Gallifrey. Now I'm really interested to see how the story progresses from here, whether this is a story that will span the entire season or whether it will go on even further than that. It's been, you know, said that maybe this whole destruction of Gallifrey story could span the rest of Jodie Whittaker's run as the Doctor, which could be another two or three years. So Really interesting to see where it goes. It's good fun, isn't it? It's Doctor Who is a British institution and there's been a lot of changes over the years. Some people might like the changes, some people might not. But at the end of the day, it's just good fun entertainment. Don't get too worked up about it. I mean, the Doctor's a woman. Who cares? She's amazing at the role and I really enjoy her performance. So that's Doctor Who on BBC One between 7 and 8 o'clock roughly on Sundays. The name's Doctor. The Doctor. The security of this entire planet is at stake. Can we rely upon you? I'm not where I wanted to be, but I can work with this. <sighs> From Joko. What? what? I don't suppose you've seen anything weird around here. You believe this is a human? What's the plan? You trust me, don't you? Ah! Have I got to answer that? Where are we? Paris, 1943? I oh, know. Something's coming for me. I can feel it. Let it come. Because we're your mates. Family. Get away from them! You know things will get into the TARDIS. You'll never die. What have you brought here, Doctor? I don't know. Now we have a very apt film I love most from the lovely Lola Garlic in Essex. 
So take it away, Lola. What is the film that you love most? The film I love the most is Dunkirk because I went into the cinema thinking it was going to be really boring, just another war film, but I came out feeling really touched and emotional about the whole thing. I remember I was living in Essex when Dunkirk was released and I went and saw it on quite a small screen but the sound system was intense. So my whole first sort of memory of that film is putting my fingers in my ears because it was so loud and the whole theatre was shaking. But Dunkirk is an incredible feat and Christopher Nolan is an incredible filmmaker. Although I do think that some of his casting choices were questionable. Dunkirk is an epic you know, story of a real life event that happened and shows it in a clear, brutal and realistic way. And, you know, you've got the Allied soldiers from Belgium, the British Empire and France, like all surrounded by the German army. And they're trying to evacuate, you know, in this massively fierce battle during World War Two. And it's got sort of side stories going on that all sort of interconnect. It's got Mark Rylance, who plays Mr. Dawson, who's, you know, taking his little tiny boat out there to try and do their bit for the war effort. And you're thinking the bravery of these men, you know, is amazing. And with 1917 just out, it, this just emphasises, like, how incredible... And brave these soldiers were for both World War One and World War Two, and the horrors that they went through for their country, and the thing I like about Dunkirk is that it shows you that there was pretty much no hope for a lot of these men. You know, like the whole situation of the men coming off of the boats and being shot at. You you would think that that'd be the scariest experience of your life, and it would be. But what I like about the film is that it, you never lose hope in what's happening, even though you know what's going to happen in the end because it's history. You never lose lose hope for the characters, and I really enjoy that about the film. It's something that's a little bit overlooked about Dunkirk, about the emotional sort of journeys of the characters. It's all more about the spectacle. But I found that um, some of the journeys the characters went on were really interesting and nice and yeah everyone's gonna go yeah but harry styles is in it well you know harry styles isn't it he does a decent job it's not a bad performance it's a questionable casting yeah it's um a celebrity casting of someone who's never done a film before but at the end of the day it doesn't lower the film in any way shape or form it doesn't undermine the film so i think that it's perfectly reasonable to just try and suspend your belief for a little while and just try and get into it and also you've got Tom Hardy who is the sexiest man alive even though he never takes off his helmet and mask for most of the film until the very end but you know he's there in in essence and spirit so <clears throat> I could watch it all day every day so yeah Dunkirk is a modern day masterpiece Christopher Nolan is great can't wait for his new film Tenant to come out later this year and I give Dunkirk a astounding 8 out of 10. So it's film found for a pound now. And I love how some of you are getting really, really into this. I love it when um, I get pictures sent on Facebook 
of the films that you found in charity shops for a pound. Then you take your little pictures of the price sticker to show how much you paid just to make sure that you haven't gone over the, the pound limit. Um, it's really cute. And I love the fact that a lot of you are going out there and supporting um, charity shops and buying your your hard copies there because it's very important that we do that. And it's a really nice way of us to try and give something back to you know, the community. So well done, you lot. You're doing really, really well. Don't forget to send me all of your film founds for a pounds on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or you can email me a picture or just tell me at the film I love most podcast at yahoo.com email address. Um, yeah, this week I've chosen a horror film because we can't have a film I love most podcast without a bit of horror, can we? You know me too well. And this week, The Limehouse Golem is the pick and I have only seen this film recently actually I only saw it at Christmas time because it was on BBC two but um, a few of you have sent this in as your film found for a pound this is like a cult classic film I mean it's one of those films where they try and build up a twist but you can see the twist coming from a mile off but it's not that it's the atmosphere and it's the period setting that this film like wallows in which is so good so it's in like victorian london um a scotland yard investigator is hunting down a sadistic killer in a series of gory jack the ripper like murders um and they've nicknamed the killer the limehouse golem starring olivia cook who i absolutely adore she was a main character in the Bates Motel TV show, which was um, about the younger years of Norman Bates. She was incredible in that. But she was also in Ready Player One, which um, she was also brilliant in. So she is definitely a rising star. And it wasn't until I watched The Limehouse Gollum and I did a little bit of research on her that I realised that she's British. So she does an amazing American accent. I would never have known. But yeah, absolutely incredible performance from her. And Bill Nye as well playing um John Caldare. There's some really interesting sort of um sort of tones of sexual identity in this film also. There's a lot of times where you see characters that are like cross dressing, um sort of transgender characters. Uh John Caldare's character is gay. It's very early on like mentioned that he has not risen up high enough in the ranks in the police force because of his sexuality, which I find really interesting. And um, Daniel Mays, again, second time we mentioned him in this podcast, playing George Flood, also playing a gay police officer who has a respect for Bill Nye's character, John Caldera, because they both share the same sort of secret. So there's a lot going on. And then obviously you've got murder and gore and bloodshed all in the background you've got you know um olivia cook's character who's lizzie cree she it, the film starts off of her being arrested for poisoning her husband and then you've got that sort of story strand and even though like i said the plot twist does smack you in the face literally about halfway through the film you're like well it's obvious who the killer is but then the big reveal at the end's like haha we bet you didn't know I'm like you yeah, we sort of did know um it's really 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 atmospheric and really good and really has a good sort of essence of victoria Lon victorian london seeping through and i absolutely love that i'm a huge fan of victorian um 
based cinema, things like From Hell, uh, anything to do with Sherlock Holmes. So anything that's um, filmed in the setting of Victorian London, I do really like. And I really, really liked The Limehouse Gollum. It has its faults. It's not a, the best film ever made. I think it is more of a culty film. I think that, you know, it's going to be known as like sort of a film like I'm trying to think of a film that could be under the same category uh blood on satan's claw or something something along those lines you know very culty that people will watch in the future and it will be released on like a special edition you know like 20th anniversary cult special it's a really good film and search it out if you just want a nice sort of relaxed um interesting watch and if you're craving some sort of Victorian dastardly, you know, deliciously disgusting film, then The Limehouse Gollum is for you. And I'm going to give it a wonderful seven and a half out of ten. So there you have it. Episode 17 of the Films I Love Most podcast. Done. Mm-mm-mm. Fantastic. It's 2020. It's January. It's coming to the end of the month now, which is incredible. One down, 11 to go until our Christmas special. <laughs> oh my goodness. I can't even think about that right now. But um, yeah, so, so many amazing things happening this year for the films i love most podcast as you already know if you want to know more head on to instagram facebook and twitter and find out what's going on and how you can get involved like i say every single week this podcast is nothing without you so if you don't get involved i'll just be sitting here like a little bit sad and you don't want to make me sad do you no of course you don't so please please message in Whatever you want me. If you want me to watch something that I haven't reviewed or I haven't seen, or you've got some suggestions of films that I could watch that are a little bit outside of my comfort zone, I'll do it and I'll review them and we can talk about them together. So please, please get involved. You're amazing. I love you all. And thank you very much for joining me here at the Films I Love Most podcast. See you next time. Thank you so much for joining us here at the Films I Love Most podcast. Don't forget, you can get involved on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Just search Films I Love Most podcast or email us at filmilovemostpodcast at yahoo.com. Thank you very much and look forward to seeing you next time here on the Films I Love Most podcast. Podcast.